What do you have in your coping toolkit? Now, if we were to look at the toolkit of a carpenter, any carpenter worth his or her salt would have tools like a hammer, a screwdriver, a tape measure, a drill, a level. You get the idea. There would be the appropriate tool for a given situation. Now, in your life, when you're dealing with stressful situations, one where you find yourself saying, "How do I cope with this?" Do you have a go-to? Do you have the equivalent of a hammer? Maybe it's eating or drinking, where you use a hammer for nails, along with screws and nuts and bolts, and you wish you could figure out. <laughs> How do I actually get myself to use the appropriate tool? Well, I'm going to talk about it in today's episode, and hopefully by the end of it, you'll have confidence that you know how to set yourself up so that not only do you use a screwdriver when it's appropriate, but that you actually also have access. To the 101-piece premium screwdriver bit set that includes the Phillips head, the flat head, a hex, a square, in all the various shapes and sizes. So, let's get started. Welcome to the Happy and Healthy Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Lang, and this podcast is dedicated to my fellow women in STEM. After working in high tech for 10 years, in 2004, I became the proud owner of Pacific Heights Health Club in San Francisco, where I worked with thousands of clients over the span of 15 years to help them reach their health and fitness goals. Now I'm sharing what I've learned about what works as well as what doesn't work when it comes to making healthy habits stick. So, if you want to find out what it takes to achieve lasting weight loss, To create deep health and feel empowered to live the life you want, you're in the right place. Episode number one hundred and twenty-six. Well, hi there, Amy here. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am solo, so no guest today. And by the time this particular episode drops. Father's Day will be yesterday, so to all of those who are listening, who are dads, Happy Father's Day! One day late, <laughs> anyway. So I was at、uh, my tennis lesson yesterday, and we were working on my forehand. So for those of you who don't know me, I I love going outside and hitting a tennis ball. I just love the way it feels. I love the fact that I'm outside and I'm moving my body, and I get so much、mm, satisfaction out of connecting with the ball and hopefully having it go where I want it to go. So, the point of taking lessons, I have actually never found a coach until now who was able to really explain it as well as. 
this particular instructor is doing. So we really, we're a good fit. We really connect. And the beauty of taking this lesson, these lessons, is for my forehand, it's not that I can't hit the ball. I mean, we were talking about, he was actually saying how he watched how I hit the ball, and then he's like, okay, I know how to help her. And one of the things we did is we slowed everything down. We took it step by step. I got to learn proper technique, better technique, so that now when I hit the ball, I've improved. So today what I want to do is talk about control versus coping. And I think there are a lot of coping skills that we have, coping mechanisms that we have, that we've developed over time. Probably a lot of them were from when we were very young that we haven't necessarily spent the time to refine. So think of this as kind of like my tennis lesson where we're slowing things down so that you can actually learn maybe better form, better technique, so that as you move forward, things get easier, things get better. So one of the important things that we need to understand is what we have actual control over versus what we need to cope with. Now, the other point I would make about coping is we tend to use coping when we're talking about situations that are outcomes we don't like. So outcomes in and of themselves are things we don't have control over. And some of the obvious ones that come to mind for me would be whether or not you actually get a good night's sleep. We can only create the conditions for it, but this is why oftentimes you'll ask someone, so how'd you sleep last night? Because there may have been a situation where you woke up in the middle of the night or you had trouble falling asleep or you had trouble falling back to sleep after getting up to use the bathroom, whatever it is, your kid wakes up in the middle of the night screaming because they had a nightmare. Uh, all of these things we don't necessarily have control over. That's an outcome. I would say weight loss is an outcome. It's not necessarily something we have control over, but we can create conditions that can improve our chances of getting the outcomes we want. Same thing with winning a game. So last night, the Golden State Warriors won their fourth championship in eight years. They were playing the Baltic Boston Celtics, and I have no doubt that both teams did what they could to, to, to prepare for that game. And how they showed up at the game was influenced by their preparation as well. But which team actually won was not within their control. So I just, I want to make that distinction very clear. What we do have control over is behaviors. So if you were to look at your sphere of control, it's on a continuum. There are things that we have total control over. Like we can choose what our response, what our action, what our behavior is going to be. We don't have total control over our emotions. Some of them are automatic. If someone startles you, that 
fear response at some level is an automatic one. What you end up doing may be different. So the startle response is a reflexive one. But whether or not you choose to punch someone as a result of that <laughs> would be within your control. So the things we have total control over are things that we can choose to do or not do. And hopefully, when it really matters, we're making conscious, intentional choices. And then you have this continuum. So things that are completely outside of our control might be things like the weather, what someone else thinks, what someone else does. And then in the middle of that can be things like what your daily schedule looks like or what your kid's schedule looks like. So I think it's really helpful when you look at what things you're coping with, that you're just really clear on what aspects you have control over, what things you have some influence over with your behavior, with your actions, and what things you have literally no control over. So, for example, if you post on social media and someone makes a comment, you had no control over that. You have no control over how many likes or comments you get on a post. But you can influence it with the nature of your post. So when we talk about coping, coping and stress go hand in hand. Stress ultimately is in response to something we care about. If you didn't care about something, you wouldn't really experience stress. So coping, when you look at all human behavior, at some level, coping is about trying to solve a problem. And the interesting thing about what we do, think about when you were younger, there was really no real thought to what long-term consequences of your particular coping mechanism was. It was very short-term focused. So human behavior is driven by a lot of pain avoidance. So we avoid pain as well as discomfort and then seeking pleasure. Those are the two basic motivators of human behavior. So if I think about it in terms of problem solving, what are the different problems we're trying to solve? hunger, thirst, we need rest and sleep, we need energy, we need human contact, and then we use distraction. So we need distraction when we want to avoid pain and discomfort. And maybe at the time that we came up with our go-to strategy, it was beyond our ability to deal with at that time. It may not be the case now, but again, it's become our go-to strategy. So what I want to do today is actually look at your coping toolbox or to toolkit, if you will. And what I wanna do is figure out how we can solve 
problems in the short term, but not at the expense of long-term goals. So we, in other words, want to address the short-term and long-term. Let's figure out how we can do that. So when you look at your toolbox, what are the different coping tools that you have? Similar to a carpenter's toolbox, Hopefully you have a hammer for nails and you have a screwdriver for screws. You have a drill, a wrench, you get the idea. So if we are to slow things down here, when you run into something that you're coping with, it's really important to identify, to be really clear on what the problem is. The better you're able to define it, the easier it will be to find the solution that addresses it. So when I owned the health club, I wound up with this screwdriver bit set that had like 101 different bits. I had a Phillips head, I had a flat head, I oh, I don't know what all the different names are, but there were ones for like um, the tamper-proof hex shape, there was a star shape, there were all these different shapes. And so what we're talking about here, what's my point, is that I want you to be able to find the match so that you can solve the problem as easily as possible. And here would be an example of short-term versus long-term. Have you ever tried to remove a screw but the head has been stripped because someone prior had used the wrong screwdriver bit to screw it in. So now the screw is unusable. You literally are struggling to figure out how in the world do I get this out now? So this would be an example of focusing on short-term at the expense of long-term. And the reason I bring this up is because when you think about like your basic needs, the body actually can confuse hunger and thirst. A lot of times people will eat when they're actually thirsty. So depending on what you end up eating, you may actually solve the problem. If you were thirsty and you ate watermelon, because of the water content of watermelon, you may actually address both hunger and thirst. But if you were thirsty and you ate a bunch of chips, would you actually be solving the thirst problem? No, unless you drank something with it. So the human body is, is very, uh, it does lots of things to sort of compensate automatically in order to get its needs met. So in the physical world, like when we were, when I was playing tennis, I had noted to the instructor, I noticed my index finger was moving on the racket. And he, we figured out that it was actually because of the angle I was trying to hold the racket and the muscles that needed to be engaged actually around my pinky and ring finger that needed a little strengthening. And what was happening is my index finger was moving to compensate in order to maintain that angle, that hold of the racket. I had done it automatically. 
It took the instructor's experience to recognize immediately what was happening. So what I'm trying to do in pointing out the hunger and thirst thing is kind of like what this instructor did with me, is helping you, how can you refine things so that you're actually um, addressing the problem with the matching solution. So if you're hungry, we want you to eat. If you're thirsty, we want you to drink something, preferably something that doesn't have a lot of caffeine because caffeine is a diuretic. If you're tired, we want you to rest. If you didn't get a good night's sleep, your body may be saying, I need more sleep. And maybe it's because you're tired that you're actually looking for more energy. And instead of being able to get sleep, you might be turning to caffeine, as an example, to try to boost your energy level. See, we just, we want to understand why we're needing what we're needing in order to make sure that we're solving the problem. So if, for example, three in the afternoon hits and you want to take a break, why do you want to take a break? Are you hungry? Is that you actually want some human contact? So you go and take a coffee break with some friends? Is it the energy boost? And it may be more than one. So I, I don't, I don't want to make oversimplify it. You may actually be doing something to address all of them. But if you're not hungry, as an example, but you're eating because it gives you an excuse or gives you a reason to go with a coworker and get some human contact, maybe you could have a cup of tea instead or a glass of water or an apple, something besides the cookie. Maybe you could go for a walk instead. So the, the need that I think that becomes potentially problematic for a lot of people is the need for distraction or the reward of distraction, if you will. And the reward of distraction is really in response to an emotion that may be too intense for us to process. That in the moment we feel like it may be beyond our capability to process. So one of the wonderful tools that I've encountered in the last few years is something called the emotion wheel. And I will provide um, a link to in the show notes to the emotion wheel that I found on BetterUp that I really, really like because it highlights eight primary emotions that basically all humans, regardless of what culture you're from, seem to share. Now, I say eight. There's no actual consensus on the primary emotions. Like primary colors are red, blue, and yellow. There's not necessarily agreement on primary emotions. But anger, fear, sadness, joy, anticipation, surprise, those have been identified as six that seem to be shared across the board. But there are some, there's some research that has identified as many as 27 emotions. I, I don't know, at the end of the day, I don't know if it's so important to know that there are primary emotions as to understand what this emotion wheel does is it actually highlights 
emotions at different levels of intensity. So you can experience fear, but at an intense level, it may be terror. You may experience sadness, but at an intense level, we call that grief. You can experience joy, and at an intense level, that's ecstasy. At the same time, anger at a lower intensity level may be frustration. So how do you cope with frustration, as an example? And instead of dealing with the frustration in ways that match up with your current capabilities to handle them, you may be defaulting to ways that you learned or figured out when you were much, much younger. And guess what? Just like my tennis forehand, you have an opportunity now to try something different. So when we talk about different coping mechanisms, I would suggest maybe you try some different things. So on that lower level intensity where maybe you've come up with that equivalent of my index finger moving to compensate for weakness in the muscles around my pinky and ring finger, maybe next time you're trying to distract yourself, you can try something like talking to a friend, going for a walk, getting outside, breathing deeply, or Maybe you can even try just processing the emotion. So notice it and name it. And I love that the emotion wheel can be used as a tool to help you actually name it. And by noticing and naming it, a lot of times we actually diffuse its power. By sitting with it, that intensity can subside. So... If you're frustrated by something you saw or heard or experienced and you go for a walk a lot of times just by letting it move through you, feeling the sensations in your body, it will dissipate. But if you don't allow that to happen, if you resist that, then oftentimes that, that stress will remain in your body. And it may accumulate, it can build up, kind of a slow burn, if you will. And again, remember, whatever you're doing is a coping mechanism. There's a problem-solving component to it. And as Steve Jobs and a whole bunch of really, really smart people have figured out, there's so much power in going for a walk, allowing the thoughts to actually flow. So if you're looking for some creative problem solving, I know just for myself, just this past weekend, I went for a walk and I was all frustrated and it took maybe three minutes before I had an aha like, oh, what am I doing? Here's a much easier way to solve the problem. So again, I just want to encourage you to make sure that you try out some other coping mechanisms, some other tools that you can now claim for your own coping toolkit. So hopefully breaking it down, making it a little slower has been helpful.
and recognizing that everything we do actually is trying to solve a problem. And a lot of times that immediate need takes precedent over the long term. And so even just calling that out, recognizing it can help you figure out what to do where you can take care of both your short-term and long-term needs as opposed to at the expense of long-term. So if you found this helpful, I would love, I would love it if you would write a review or share it with a friend or both. If you found a particular section of it helpful, I would love to know. If there are other topics you would like to hear about, I would love for you to let me know as well. So in other words, I would love some feedback. (laughs) And obviously, if you found this helpful and this is your first time listening, I would love for you to subscribe as well. So what else can I say? Have a wonderful week and I'll be talking to you next week. I'll leave you with the following quote by Lee Iacocca. Trouble shared is trouble halved. You've been listening to the Happy and Healthy Podcast with Amy Lang. If you enjoyed today's episode, by all means, hit the subscribe button now. If you're ready to get started, visit my website, moxieclub.com. That's M-O-X-I-E hyphen C-L-U-B dot com. And sign up for my free mini course, How to Lose Weight for the Last Time. And remember, making your choices when you're in a state of abundance is where the magic happens. Mm -hmm.